From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. I was using every single opportunities and chance to see her. I'm going to stay here until my change comes. I'm going to stay here on my knees until my change comes. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and tenacious tidbits we find all over the world. On the air, the internet, we listen to everything we can get our ears on and then bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound. And I said, Mom, look at this woman, because she's going to be your daughter-in-law. I'm going to stay here on my knees until my change comes. 1959, her father got transferred to Japan. So I decided, well, I'll go to Japan and get her. When it comes to persistence, there's your basic stick-to-itiveness, and then there's your hardcore, determined, dog-with-a-bone tunnel vision. Stick-to-itiveness is fine if you want to, say, lose a few pounds or give up coffee for Lent. Tunnel vision is what you need to tear up the floorboards of your life and start all over again. And when you get to that place where you will let nothing get in your way, that is where great stories are born. We have three of them for you today, all involving love, of course. What else inspires that kind of dogged tenacity? Stay tuned. Waiting is its own form of persistence in its quiet, patient way. We've all waited for something or someone, but few of us have had the patience to wait 40 years. I was there one night, and I saw this young lady skating around, and I uh, waited for her to take a break and go get a Coke before I made my move. He just grabbed my hand and rolled me around and said, I'm Peter Hayden, who are you? And she says, my name's Jacqueline Lefevre. And I looked in those big green eyes, and I was a done deal. From there, we started dating. And in 1959, her father got transferred to Japan. So I decided, well, I'll go to Japan and get her. So I went and joined the Marine Corps and said, well, I want to go to Japan. The Marine Corps said, oh, you'll go to Japan when we tell you you can go to Japan. And I was home on leave and stopped by to see Jacqueline's mother. She said right away, Jackie got married. I, I just got married for all the wrong reasons. And I was very unhappy. I carried a picture of Jackie in my pack for three years in Vietnam. We'd have a hard day. I'd just pull a picture out and say, I guess that's why I'm doing this. So I wrote her a letter, told her how I felt. I don't know how the letter found me. It had all these forewords stamped all over the envelope. And he said, I love you. I've always loved you. I just have to get this off my chest, and I'm done. I did my tour, and I came back from Vietnam. I spent 24 hours at home. And I went into my mother about 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, i got to go to North Carolina to see Jackie. And she kind of looked at me and she said, I think you better leave that one alone. But I guess you got to do what you have to do. And I sent him away. I came from a divorced family and didn't want my kids to have a broken home. And my husband was a very domineering, controlling person. If I left, he wouldn't let me have my children. She said, you know, I'm not going to see you anymore. That was September 25th, 1968. 
and I didn't hear from you again till September 25th, 1998. I had tried to call him off and on over the years, and I'd always call the operator and say, do you have a T.P. Hayden? And she'd say no. And then in 98, I had made up my mind, I am just out of here. I'm so miserable. I'm so unhappy. So I said, well, nobody ever loved me but Peter. I'm going to go see if I can find him one more time. <laughs> and the operator said, I've got a T.P. Hayden in White Plains. Then I said, oh, my God, that's him. I said, I have been trying to find this person for 30 years. It's the love of my life. <laughs> she said, do you want me to dial a number for you? I said, yeah, you can dial a number. She said, can I stay on the line? I said, I don't care what you do. Then the phone rang. And she said, do you know who this is? I said, yeah, I know exactly who this is. She said, I bet you're mad at me. I said, no, matter of fact, I'm still in love with you. <laughs> it's just sad the time we lost. But I got her back. So I won, you know. <laughs> And she's just as beautiful as she was when she's, uh, she's 15. Peter and Jacqueline Hayden's story was recorded in Charlotte Hall, Maryland. StoryCorps sets up recording booths all over the country to record people interviewing their loved ones. And StoryCorps just opened a booth here in Chicago at the Cultural Center downtown. For more information, go to storycorps.org. If I manage to escape, we'll be together again. If I'm caught, I'll be killed. This is why this letter will be my last. I hate that I'm writing this, but you know I have always been honest with you. I love you, Dina. Give the children a kiss and don't stop believing in us. Zach. On April 6, 1992, Serb militants opened fire on thousands of peace demonstrators in Sarajevo, beginning a siege that killed thousands, separated families, and left 400,000 residents trapped in a war-torn city. Before the war, this beautiful, diverse, culturally rich city was the backdrop to an astonishing love story that showed a kind of persistence most mere mortals couldn't even aspire to. From producer Dale Olovich, here's the story of her parents' unusual romance and what happened when it ran headfirst into the war. I've always wanted to tell my parents' story. It starts in 1992 in war-torn Sarajevo. It's the story of two people who gave up everything so my brother and I could have a happy and safe future. Bye. Bye. Drive safely. I will. Well, 6 o'clock in the morning, another exciting day, driving in taxi with the million saying questions every day. Good morning, driver. How are you, driver? Busy, driver. What's the weather going to be like, driver? Is this your only job? Married? Are you happy in Australia? The same questions killing me every day, but not even similar to disaster I've been. In Sarajevo, I was running pub. I was owning video store. I was teaching music in primary school. I was doing a few different things. We had very comfortable and very relaxing life. I could afford holiday every year as long as I want. It was good life over there, but when you think what's, what's happening in Sarajevo after war, everything has changed. Australia is country you have to appreciate. 
I have lovely family, wife and children, and they are doing well, so I'm okay. Zach just left. It's time to start my interesting day. First, walking the dog, feeding the dog, feeding the fish. After that, maybe washing, after the cleaning, dusting, in the afternoon cooking. In Bosnia, I was doing all those stuff that I mentioned, but apart from that, I had my job that gave me so much pleasure. I was teaching our language and literature and really enjoying that job. And I was doing that almost for 20 years until one day something happened that I never imagined could. Whole buildings are gutted, facades splattered with bullet holes and torn open by heavy artillery shells. Bosnia appears to be sliding towards full-scale civil war. There have been street battles for the past 24 hours in the capital, Sarajevo. The attack started at dawn across the axis of the city's main street. First target, the television station. On April 6, 1992, Serb militants opened fire on thousands of peace demonstrators in Sarajevo, killing five and wounding more than 30. This began a siege that would see 400,000 residents trapped and thousands of civilians killed. I was four years old and our lives would never be the same. The fighting resumed today, killing at least 11 more people. The world was shocked this morning by bloody images of the dead and wounded in the wake of an artillery. Mortar bombs apparently fired by Serb fighters landed in a central square of the capital where people were queuing for bread. Sarajevo was the most beautiful city, peaceful. I was actually never thinking the war can start in Sarajevo. Everything was covered by blood. I saw a girl without legs. She was screaming, you know. It's a strange feeling hearing archives from the war. I've not heard them before. It's strange because you forget that the news doesn't stop, that whilst you're living through hell, there are people around the world hearing it as just another news story as they eat their dinner. It's distressing to hear, almost like I'm not meant to be listening. It makes it all seem so real again. In the April 92, there was certain things happening that suggested that war is coming, like so many barric barricades, Gunshots everywhere, uh, barbed wire around. Uh, the day that I realized the war is really happening is the day when Sarajevo was divided into two parts and those parts became enemy. We were living on the border between two lines and everybody wanted to take over. Uh, it was constant fighting, bombing, and all, it was almost impossible to live there. But there was a time, not long before all this began, when life was so much simpler, a time when we called ourselves the happiest family in the world. I remember the day I met Dina, it was first day 
when I got a job like music teacher in primary school. From the moment I see her and I was introduced to her, somehow I got feeling this is woman I can love for the rest of my life. Dina. Dina, it might just sound like a name to you, a name that you're so used to. For me, it's so much more. Dina, for me, is a day, a year, a lifetime. Dina is a part of my life. She's my whole life. Zach. In my eyes, she was the most beautiful person I saw. Even now, I can clearly remember dress on her. Dark red color with black roses on that. And I couldn't think anything but how can I get this woman to be my wife? Unfortunately, Dina was married. But every single person knew that I'm in love with Dina. Only Dina, Dina didn't know. I never knew Zach was in love with me. He was so charming. He was funny, joking around, but I never told of him as anything but as a good friend. In that friendship, I was using every single opportunities and chance to see her. I was faking up situation. I was working morning shift, she was working uh, afternoon shift, but I was always coming back in the afternoon like I forgot something and I was like just passing by and said, hey, hi, how are you? Where are you going? And she was saying going home. I said, excellent, I'm on the same way. Do you want me to take her over there? And one day I said, if you don't mind, I will just stop to pick my mom up. And my mom knew for dinner from the first day. I said, mom, I felt in love. Dinner is woman of my life. Anyway, we stopped by and I said, Mom, look at this woman because she's going to be your daughter-in-law. And on top of all, Dina was heavily pregnant. And Dina got red face and said, oh, come on, Zach, what are you talking about? And I make kind of joke. But how serious was it for me? Only I knew. At that time, I was married happily. <laughs> And I had my son, and after eight years, it didn't work out, so I divorced my husband. Actual relationship, and officially, started one morning, but before that morning was, of course, night, and that night was organized party and like many times before, I was choosing any chance to be with her. And I said to her, to her, do you want me to take you home? And she said, yes, why not? I was driving at that time, nice Beetle. Nice music in the car. And I said exactly these words. Listen, Dina, if you could just imagine how much I love you, you wouldn't sleep for the rest of your life. Next morning, first thing I had to do is to go to see her. And then first few seconds, no words. And then Dina said, you know what? 
I didn't sleep last night. Oh, he was the most beautiful man in the world, so charming, writing me poetry, always telling how beautiful I am, how special I am. I fell in love like a little girl. Two years after we were married, we got our little girl there, and she was the most beautiful girl in the world. Everybody fell in love with her. Very bubbling and... It's hard for me to remember those happy times in Sarajevo. My childhood memories are so bound up with war. But I do have flashbacks of playing with Dad, him throwing me up in the air and my heart racing as I fell back into his arms. I remember Mum tucking me in at night and her calm, gentle voice. I remember the endless patience of my big brother Dayan as he played my silly games over and over again. Dad used to come home every day with a treat, usually a big salty pretzel. I can still remember the way it tasted. It was a perfect childhood. At the beginning, everything was in perfect order. But one day, everything was ruined overnight. The city itself is shocking, devastated, everything blacked out, no glass in any windows, burnt out cars overturned and covered with snow, street signs uselessly dangling or fallen, and everywhere makeshift. Makeshift graveyards, guard posts, doorways, heaters, offices, water tanks, even cars cobbled together with... In Bosnia and Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia started war, and days of happy life were more and less finished. When war started, I was still going to school, and my husband was terrified always when I was going. And one day it was really bombing, and my husband told me not to go to school, but I went. It took me like three hours to come home, hiding from the granite and bomb. When I finally came home, I found my husband terrified and angry in the same time. He said to me, you will never go again to work. And I said, I will lose the job. He said, you are crazy. Do you understand what is happening? You will lose your life. That's the day that I realized the war really happened in our city. It was almost the most horrific day for me because I have children to care for, I have husband, and we were so afraid. We had some food, but after that, after a while, we didn't have any. There was no electricity or gas. Even when we got something from the humanitarian organization, we couldn't cook properly. So we made some fire from some wood that we found. 
After that, there was no wood anymore, so we had to put on fire wooden floor or, or chairs, anything that can help us to boil something. Everything was in, in panic, and I didn't know what to do. I was just trying to, to stay with my family and to protect them in any way I, I can. And one day, a group of people came on my door and they asked me to join. Actually, they said I supposed to join the army, which was not a regular army which I knew for all my life. That was army made in suburb. And I had to register to be a member of that army, and I was scared. And I knew that people fighting, but why and who against who, I didn't know. They were shooting down all the time, bombing. There was so many grenades, and there was no way to go out from Sarajevo. And when Sarajevo separated in two parts, Nobody could go out and nobody could came in. That's it's why Sarajevo became the biggest concentration camp in the world. I remember mom telling me about the beauty of Sarajevo, that it didn't matter what religion you were, Catholic, Muslim, Orthodox or Christian, you were simply from Sarajevo. But all of a sudden, it did matter and it was going to matter for a long time to come. Although I was only young, I knew things were very wrong when we moved into the basement of our apartment building. It was so crowded. There were people everywhere, and the guns and grenades outside just got louder and louder and louder. It was as dark as night during the day. We had no electricity and hardly any food. My parents tried to shelter me, to protect me by saying everything was okay, but I knew it wasn't. I could read the fear in their eyes. I was terrified that something could happen to you, and I was terrified that you could die from the hunger because we didn't have enough food. Uh, everything we got, almost everything, we gave it to you, but it wasn't enough. One day, Zach brought some chocolates that he bought, and I told you, you can have whole chocolate. You were looking at me, probably thinking the rules are changed, and you turned and said, is it because we don't have anything else? And I said, yes. And I was crying inside. Can you tell me a little bit about me during the war when we were underground and, and how I handled all of that or how you saw me handle all of that? Uh, you were just four years old at that time. And in some ways, you liked the situation because you could play all day long with other children and there was no bad time. 
as the war progressed, you became aware that something bad is happening. You could hear the grenade and smashing the windows in the building. And unfortunately, you witnessed wounded people coming in from the outside. And sometimes you were present when people were wounded from the granite. Your behavior changed suddenly and you started to, sh to shake and you couldn't sleep very well. I realized that you never wanted to talk about that. And now when I'm thinking, this is the first time that we are talking about that in 20 years. She's right. We've never really talked about the war. I saw things children aren't supposed to see, and I think I blacked out all of those images and sounds and feelings. I'm still blacking them out. I suppose we never wanted to relive those memories. We wanted to keep moving forward. We want to forget. But one random memory that keeps recurring is of the day a sniper bullet shot through my parents' bedroom. It cut through their wardrobe and made a perfect hole through the middle of all of Dad's suit jackets. It sounds so silly now, given all of the other things I saw, but I remember crying hysterically because he no longer had anything to wear to work. My brother Dayan had that typical brazenness of most boys his age. He understood enough to know this was war, but not enough to know how bloody it was. Uh, my son was 12 at that time, and for him was different. He, he was looking at all those things as a game. And one day he said, Mom, if that war lasts another four years, can I put on uniform and fight for us? At that moment, I didn't want to tell him what I'm thinking. I almost smacked him. And one day, the bombing escalated that much that our building, which was 24 stories high, was set on the fire together with five other buildings. We were in underground, everything else were burning. For a while we were okay, but when whole building was filled with the smoke, the smoke suddenly started to go down and we had difficulty to breathe. So we grabbed some wet tiles and put around our face and we were actually waiting bombing to stop because we were trapped. We couldn't go out because it was bombing. We couldn't stay there because we will burn alive. After a while, bombing stopped and one very dear friend who was working for the army came to pick us and take us on the safe place. After we went to my mom's place, we realized we lost everything. We don't have any more apartment or anything in 
we lost so many memories, so many, many photographs. The situation was so bad, we could all die, so anything else wasn't important. I said to Dina, listen, you have to leave this city, you have to go, you have to take children with you, you have to save children, save you, no worries about me, I will be fine. Didn't know will I be fine, I was scared. I was scared to death because didn't know what's gonna happen. People been dying every day, but in front of dinner, I was strong. I was the best actor that day when I said, leave the city, go, go. In that time, I realized I have to go out. I have to save my children. At that time, government was talking about another convoy which will leave Sarajevo. On the bus station was few thousand people, people who were living, children with moms, dads, everybody were crying. I never saw so many people that cry in the same time because when we left, actually, we didn't know if we will ever see each other. The day Tina and Chen left city, Probably I will never forget in my, my life, that was the worst. When I was staying on the station and they went to the bus and Dina and children, they were on the window and my, my little daughter, she didn't say anything, any single word. I just saw tears dropping. That is one day I will never forget. My husband was waving to us and crying. I was crying, children were crying, and that was bus that actually can take 50 people. It was around 200 people. The journey lasted like five days, and finally we reached Croatia. They were asking for some documents, visas and everything. And because nobody has that, we were on that border that didn't have any shop or anything for full days and nights. We didn't have any food and it was, wasn't important for me. But my children were hungry and when I realized I can't do anything, I can't go even from the bus out, I started to cry again and cry. And my son came to me and said, Mom, don't cry. I'm really not hungry. Finally, we got permission to go to Croatia. And we went to one island on the Adriatic Sea. I was so, so sad all the time because my husband was still in Sarajevo. When my family left Sarajevo, uh, our apartment, apartment was burned to the ground. I was just living from day to day, didn't know what to do. In the city was so many groups, army organized between people. And I was looking for some place where I will know people, where I will be a little bit protected. And after one night, when I collapsed, I didn't eat for a few days. I went to 
to guy I knew before, and he was kind of commander of army formation. And I, I asked him, tell me what to do to, to get meal. And officially I became member of that formation, which belonged to Bosnian army. That was constant danger. And now to the appalling suffering in Sarajevo, where more than 300,000 people are trapped in a city that's being reduced to rubble by Serbian artillery. This time, the target for mortars in Sarajevo was a graveyard. Fighters watched through the sights of a gun as two tiny coffins were buried. Every single day, every single hour, every single second, there was chance to be killed. I said to my friend one day, okay, see you later. He said, who knows? It was exactly like that. You're walking, turning around corner, boom, grenade, whatever, killed in a second. Dina, Ljubav moja Dina, pišem ti u nadi da ćeš dobiti ovo pismo. My darling Dina, I'm writing to you, hoping you will receive this letter. Every single day I wrote letter to Dina. Ništa drugo nije bitno. First of all, to tell her how much I love her, to support her, to believe me that we will be together one day. Didn't know how many letters Dina will, will get from me, but I was writing every single day, every single free moment, every situation I could sit and take pen and piece of paper, I was writing to Dina. You can't imagine how much I love and miss you all. Please look after yourself and the children. Nothing else is important. I promise you I will stay alive and one day we'll be together again. I don't know when or how, but I will hold you in my arms again. Love always, Zach. Vidio ve ostvarana želje Ovo kino snova zovu fantazijo He sent so many letters I managed to get more than 100 in 15 months That was the happiest day when I got some letters and I was reading and reading and some people were ask me how he was and how is in Sarajevo and I couldn't tell them because my husband never was writing about situation Sarajevo. The only thing that he was writing is how much he's loving me and children and how he's believing that one day we'll be together. <laughs> Dina, ljubav moja Dina. Ljubavi moja. Ovo je najkraće i zadnje pismo koje ti šalim. This is the shortest and the last letter you will get from me. I have decided to escape from this city, from this hell. If I manage to escape, we will be together again. 
If I'm caught, I will be killed. This is why this letter will be my last. I hate that I am writing this, but you know I have always been honest with you. I love you, Dina. Give the children a kiss and don't stop believing in us. Zach. In following two months, I was running from border to border. I was Christian who owned a Muslim passport. Every single day, somebody was questioning me. Even I was arrested in Serbia on the border. I was questioned, how did I get passport? How I can have Christian name? How can I have passport with Muslim symbols? All I was saying, just people, please... Let me go to see my wife and children. Finally, in December 1993, I reached Hungary. I was crying because I'm going to be with my wife, my children, and we have to start new life somewhere and somehow. But I knew that behind me is war, and my mom, my brother, my father, my friends, everyone was staying behind. We were on the way to island where Dina was with children, and I came on that island Christmas Eve, 1993. That was late evening, already was dark. And in one moment, I was a few hundred meters from the house to see Dina, to see children, and all lights around, uh, people laughing in the houses. I could hear them, music, jingle bells. But finally I started to walk to the house, and I, I physically feel now I'm knocking on the door. Dina were opening doors. You're expecting to say something, but nothing. Nothing, just tears and Dina and children. And in silence, and in that moment, everything stopped. Everything stopped. Shaking, we were together again. I can't describe the way I felt that night the happiness we all felt. My dad was finally home and mum was smiling again. The following year, my parents began the search for our new home. At the time, several countries were offering resettlement programs to refugees. Mum and dad read about Perth, a lonely and remote city on the other side of the world, a city as far away as possible from the hell we had all just lived through. After eight months of interviews and medical exams, of hoping and wishing, we received that letter. Congratulations, you are going to Perth, Western Australia. So we went to Australia and on the 10th of January 1995, we landed to Perth and some people from immigration department came to greet us and they even had interpreter who said in our language, welcome to Perth, welcome to Australia. You are now safe. Every time I think about that, I can cry because I finally realize we are alive, we are together and we have second chance especially for our children. <laughs> now, as I'm cleaning my house, dusting, preparing lunch, 
doing ironing, washing. And then I think back, and when I remember everything that we went through, this job doesn't look so bad. But on the end of the day, I have my family. That's all we need. And that's it. <laughs> it was 10 years before we went back to visit Sarajevo. We had no money before that, and we were focusing on rebuilding our lives. Now we go back often, but sometimes I wish we never had, so we'd not be reminded of how much we lost and what we've left behind. If you met my mum and dad, you'd never guess their pain, that they gave up everything to come here. Their home, their careers, their family, their friends, and everything they owned. Well, almost everything. Just one thing remains, a box of love letters from my dad to my mum, his darling Dina. After the rain, there is sun. After a night, there is day. And our day will come. I love you. Always yours, Zach. Dina and Zach, A Love Story, was produced by Daya Lalovich and Kirsty Melville for 360 Documentaries on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Spring has sprung, and the sunshine, flowers, and the smell in the air can only mean one thing, besides young love. Time to buy a fabulous new T-shirt. A Third Coast tee would be perfect to complete your spring wardrobe. You'll have to go to our website to see the design, the colors, and, of course, place your order. ThirdCoastFestival.org. Every day there's some little present or, like, a gift or a necklace. It's just, I, I don't know. You I saved his life. He owes you everything. They say that truth is stranger than fiction. Well, they could be wrong. From a podcast called The Truth, which is entirely fictitious, they make movies for your ears, comes a story that has more twists and turns than a luge run and centers on a persistence that borders on obsession. Hold on to your hat. Here is Falling. You got it? All right, man. All right. Let's see it. All right, I'm gonna do a perfect handstand. I... 20 seconds. <laughs> You're gonna hit your mouth right on the... Dude. What? You got this guy on the tracks. Oh hey. my God. Hey, dude. Hey. Hey. Train coming, man. Oh my God, that lady just... Hey, get out of the... There's a train coming! Get out of the track! <laughs> I got it, yeah, baby. That's romance. That's love. Oh man, the whole thing. Oh man, I'm crying. I can't believe it. <laughs> 
Welcome back. You're watching Wake Up America. I'm Tammy Hernandez, and I am so thrilled to be sitting here with Annie, Amtrak Annie Castells, and Lewis Wright from that incredible YouTube video we saw before the break. 3.5 million views on YouTube. It has gone certifiably viral. Everyone has seen this video. Now, the question on everyone's minds, I have to ask, forgive me, are you two a couple? Well, uh, truth be told, I've been in the hospital for a month. We haven't had the opportunity to connect. This is actually the first time we've seen each other since that day. Uh, honestly, I've just been a little overwhelmed by the whole uh, situation. I'm just really glad I was able to help. It, it's such an incredible story. Lewis, to sit here next to someone who saved your life, literally saved your life, a true hero, how will you ever repay her? <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I can, um, <laughs> unless I were to save your life. But I'd like to start maybe by uh, buying her dinner, if she'll let me. I, okay, I'm sorry, I have to do this. I'm, I'm, they're in my ear, they don't know what I'm gonna do right now. Producers, I'm really sorry. How about you two go out to dinner on us, on Wake Up America, on our dime, please go out. What do you say? Uh, wow. <laughs> um, sure. So you get set up on dates through TV often? <laughs> uh, never. Not Never? Once. Not this, once. This no. is the first time. This yeah. is only my third time, so. Oh, wow. The yeah. first two didn't work out, I guess. Well, they were great. Yeah, but the ratings weren't good, so we had to, we got <laughs> so canceled. So they canceled your relationship? Yeah, we got yeah. canceled. That's great. This, uh... This is really fun. Yes. <laughs> I was going to use one of those words, fun. Yes. Yeah. I just, um, I know I didn't. I didn't return your call uh, when sorry. you, you called me a couple weeks ago. I kissed you on the train tracks. I don't know what that was. I hadn't either, but uh, Listen, I just wanted to give you space in case you thought what you had done was Annie, you saved stay. my life. I sort of have to ask you out. You didn't have to. I mean, because I, 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 did, I, did, I didn't want Annie, you to. I really wanted to. Well, I am really glad that you did. Annie, look what I have. It's from Lewis. Oh, oh, they're beautiful. Oh, look at the card. Open the card, please. Okay. Thinking of you, I need your little cartoon. <laughs> you know, why don't you put these flowers in your office? I've, I've already got some flowers from him from Monday, and they're still doing fine. Why don't you take them? I do not take secondhand flowers. They're not secondhand. They've been in my office for five seconds. Take them. Nope. <laughs> fine. Okay. It's amazing. So many things around here. I know. Every single day he sends me something. Do you like him? I do. <laughs> I do. But he's like the hot guy. And I'm like, I file animal medical records all day. <laughs> That's what I do. What's I know. wrong with that? I know. I know. Don't like... make me feel ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to make you feel ugly. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like, it feels uneven. This is the last one? Uh, one more, here we go. Oh, jeez. Uh-oh. Oh, oh. What happened, princess? I think the back's still a little tender. Oh, maybe we need to get Annie down here, do your job for you. <laughs> you signed so many autographs, I'm famous, man. I'm world famous, guys, now. Right. Tell me something, I saw the video. When she was on top of you, did you feel her balls? <laughs> 
anything you could say, you can't hurt my feelings anymore because I am in love. Ba-boom! Oh, you've gone oh. soft, man. Well, you know, when you stare death in the face and walk away, it makes you reevaluate things. Yeah. You know what? I can't even look at him anymore. All right. That's it. Wait, there's one more box. No, don't close the truck! No, guys, let me out! At least drive me to Annie's, please. Hey, I'm home. Hey, sorry, I let myself in. The key works. Ah, oh, it's so pretty here. What are you making? Make a little uh, beer steamed mussels with the bacon. Ooh. Mm -hmm. How's work? It was good. Did you get the flowers I sent you? Yes, I did. Thank you. They are beautiful and extravagant. Not as beautiful as you. How was your day back? Uh, good. Back is feeling better. Is it? I think I will survive. Oh, good. Well, I, I made sure I put your eyes back in the freezer. Oh, great, thanks. Yeah. Hey. What? What? I got no. you something. No. Yeah. But this you... is just a little something to say I love you. <gasps> this is not little. That's your favorite, right? This is not little. It's aquamarine. It's gorgeous, but it's... You, you gotta stop. You gotta cares? stop with this. Money you're, doesn't you're... mean anything. I know, but you're just... You're... It's making me uncomfortable. You're just, oh, come on. you're doing too much. I've never, I, I have never in my life been treated like this before. Well, have you ever saved anyone's life before? <sighs> but please, just will you promise me no more big gestures? If it will make you more comfortable, I promise. Thank you. It will. I mm -hmm. hope this dinner doesn't count as a present because you're going to eat it. Oh, it does not count. Trust me, it doesn't count. I'm going to set the table. Great. Every day there's some little present or like a gift or a necklace. It's just, I, I don't know. You I saved his life. He owes you everything. He's never going to forget your anniversary. He's never not going to come home and give you a kiss. He's, he is going to love you for the rest of your life. Right, because I saved his life, not because he loves me. Don't even think about it, you know? I don't know. I want this to work, but I just, I wish we could just strike the whole thing and start over and meet at a Starbucks. Hey Holly, what's up? Uh, there's a couple of FedEx guys out there. They say they have a package for you. Can't they just bring it in? It's too big, it won't fit. Oh boy. <laughs> oh God, uh, okay. Let's go. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. That's enormous. Are you Annie Castells? Uh, yeah, I am. Then this is for you. Hey, listen up. Thank you, thank you guys. Thank I'm you. I'm asking Annie here to move in with me. Don't what do you do say it. in front of all these dogs and all these people? Come on, Lou, you promised you wouldn't do this. Yes or like no? This then, then fine, if you're gonna push me, then no. Okay? Just take this and get out. Annie, I'm. Please, please. You made a promise and you broke it, okay? Just get That's out. 
Raphael. Just leave the box. Can you still sign? Are you serious? We marked it out as a real delivery. Just leave. Hello? Hey. Can I come up? You have a key. I know. I just want you to want me to come up. things I did a big thing. It's very big. Yeah. I know, I know. You... I'm so sorry I yelled at you. I've never yelled at anyone. I... I'm really sorry. I wasn't listening to you at all. I was... Why does it always have to be so big? Why That's can't... how I feel, Annie. All the time? Annie, before you met me, before you saved me, I was afraid of everything. I find that really hard to imagine. I was down on those tracks. I couldn't move. I gave up. And after this, suddenly I can actually notice what it is that I feel. Not only notice it, but say it out loud. I love you. This is gonna wear off. And you're going to see that I'm boring. And you're going to leave. Do you love me? I love you so much. That I know that what you love is you love being alive. And I think... This is about you. I love you. Why don't you believe me? What do I have to do to make you believe me? What do I have to do? Leave. Go out front and face the apartment. What, what Please. Is... Go out front and face the apartment. Okay, I am outside. What is this, Annie? Look up! And what are you doing up there? I'm gonna jump and I want you to catch me. I... What? Yes, I'm gonna jump. Just catch me. No, I can't. No, no, no. Just go. No, no. Annie, no. Oh. said you were really lucky. Yeah, I'm not paralyzed. And there's no infection or anything. I'm doing fine. Skin graft took, so it'll be a smooth base. I lost my foot. Yeah. That's my right foot. Did you think I'd be able to catch you? You really? I did. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm, I am so sorry. I'm not perfect. I don't want you to be. I'm an idiot. You're my hero, and you're an idiot. But above all, you're Annie, and that's all I, that's all I care about. 
I don't love what you do, I just love you. Because you can walk away, you have two feet. <laughs> no. I can't. I wrote you this. Oh, God. <laughs> At least you're not in a box. The doctors wouldn't let me bring it in. Are you serious? Did you really try to ship yourself to no, my no, hospital no. room? I learned my lesson on that. <laughs> okay. do worse than that to get this guy off your back oh Annie be happy <laughs> Falling was produced by Jonathan Mitchell for the podcast The Truth a show that makes short films without pictures. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today's episode was produced by Katie Mingle and Dennis Funk. The program is curated by Johanna Zorn and Sarah Geis of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear nearly 1,500 outstanding documentaries from around the world. And subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. You can also connect with us through Facebook and Twitter. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.